Hey, not really by way of announcement, but more by way of prayers. We're really wanting to be a congregation that is uh, rooted in prayer. So just two things, uh, additional things that we didn't... uh, announcing announcements, but we do have Vacation Bible School coming up uh, this Sunday. Uh, Janet, our children's director, has just been working so hard. It's been awesome. We're full with children, so that's really awesome. And uh, many of you have volunteered as we were praying, so it's awesome. As a whole congregation, could we pray that the Lord uses Vacation Bible School um, in profound ways in the lives of our little ones, okay? Um, and, uh, and then secondly, um, our series that we're going to begin uh, next week, I'm excited about it. It is rooted in a probably the most familiar psalm, Psalm 23, and it's entitled, A Life Without Lack. The, uh, the psalmist David, he praises the Lord that he, he wants nothing and will need nothing and will fear nothing. I mean, how would anybody be able to say, yeah, I don't really, I'm good. I, I'm living a life without lacking anything, without fearing anything. Can you imagine, like, even living a single day <laughs> like that? And David is celebrating the Lord that he's living a life like that. So we're going to unpack that um, based on a book uh, by Dallas Willard with that uh, title and walk through that next couple of weeks. Would you be praying for that? Would you think about inviting someone who would perhaps, they're living a life right now that's filled with needs and wants and desires. In fact, you, you connect with them and all you ever hear from them is what they're lacking in, right? Maybe this series coming up is for them. Let's pray for just a moment. So Lord, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. Or thank you that so many years ago when children were really devalued, you said, let the children come to me. And you place this beautiful value on them. So Lord, would you divinely bring um, those kids to our VBS? Would you use uh, those moments, those singing and the stories, the relationships and just the general silliness to bless them and teach them what it means to walk with you? And Lord, we pray for our series coming up um, that it would be one that ministers to our hearts and souls. That we would learn the life that you died for us to have and that we would share that with others. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And the congregation said, yeah. amen. I never say that. That's a little Baptist, right? I guess I could say that. <laughs> Um, We are uh, finishing a series that I have rather enjoyed. It's been on sacred friendships, and we've been asking the question, 
What, how should our relationships within the kingdom of God, among fellowship, how should those relationships look different than other relationships in the world? What are the hallmarks? What are the values? We, we've looked at these different relationships like David and Jonathan. And we saw the, the choice of God's will for our friends rather than our desires and how it connects. We, we looked at Ruth and Naomi and saw this amazing, uncommon kindness that, that Ruth showed Naomi and said that should, be, that, that should be a picture of our relationships with one another. The, the kindness should overflow it from our lives into one another. We've looked at um, uh, uh, when we have disagreements that, that Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, should handle disagreements in a different way than the world, speaking truth and love, right? We've talked about forgiveness and sacred trust, all those things. And as I was praying and planning out this series of sacred friends, I had thought about these relationships that I wanted us to unpack and look at and listen to. By the way, the messages are online. If you missed any of those, would like to, you can go online and hear those and begin to pray those into your relationships, to move our relationships from secular to sacred. And I had, I, we, we've really completed all the relationships that I wanted us to talk about. Except there was one question that I, I wasn't addressing and, and that I, I wanted to, I was ready to move on and get into Psalm 23, but there's this one question that was intriguing me and I was thinking about and praying about and I thought, I think it's worthy to add one more week to this series. And that question is this. Can we have sacred friendships with people who don't know the Lord? So I, I thought about that. I prayed. I, thought, I think that you could probably make an argument for either direction, right? I, I think it's going to look different because there's a reciprocation of kindness and love and forgiveness that those relationships, those sacred friendships can quickly go south and go, go more secular than sacred. And yet, I think that we can. In fact, I think that we are called to do that. I think the, the state of evangelism what David was announcing, but we've been sharing. If you look at the state of evangelism in terms of people whimsically sharing the love of God with others, it's pretty low. It's pretty uh, non-existent in most areas of the country, most churches. I'm gonna share a few statistics a little bit later. So I think that there is an invitation that I feel like the Lord was saying, yes, part of what I wanna do in my bride, in my church, is teach them to love their neighbors, especially when they don't know me. That, that there's a, a sacred love that should flow that the church should be known for. 
And before I left this series, I thought, no, I, I think there's something that the Lord wants to say in the midst of this sacred friendship that talks about another value of ours, empowered and thoughtful witness and testimony, that how we would do that. And so I started saying, well, well Lord, is, is there a relationship in Scripture that you could point out to me to, to really look at. And honestly, I had difficulty finding a relationship in part because most of the evangelism in Scripture in the New Testament is so empowered by the Holy Spirit, it just happens and they're Christians, right? So the, uh, the, the long-going friendship and relationship I, I had struggled finding that particular relationship that we were looking at, but he did lead me to one that I think is applicable, that I, that I think he wants to, to teach us from this morning, and that's from Acts 9, which is a conversion story. It's actually the Apostle Paul's conversion story. Um, begins with him. He was Saul, and he's persecuting the church. And he gets letters from the high priest to go from Jerusalem to Damascus to continue his persecuting ways. And he's almost to Damascus. And Jesus, we're not going to read this part, so I'll just give you a context. Jesus appears. There's this blinding light, knocks Paul down. And, um, and G, it's the resurrected Jesus appears to Paul. That's a pretty good evangelism strategy, right? And he says, why are you persecuting me to Saul? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. You're persecuting me. So, so Saul, he's not Paul yet. Saul stands up and he's blind. He cannot see. And so his companions lead him to Damascus. He gets to Damascus and he's praying. And God decides to use a disciple named Ananias to help Saul out. And that's what we're going to read. I want you to I want you to pay attention to what the Lord asks Ananias to do. I think there's crossover from what he's asking you and I to do in our relationships. And how he lives that out. So um, I'm going to start in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 10. Verse 10 says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. So remember Saul, he's knocked down, he's blind, he's in Damascus. The Lord called to him Ananias in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, I am here, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority for the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name 
to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell uh, from Saul's eyes and he got up and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Lord, would you teach us from the pages of Scripture here? So I wanted to uh, tell a little story from this past week uh, for uh, one of my daughters, Cambria. We're traveling to New York and we were on the airplane taking numerous uh, uh, flights, and we got hung up uh, in Charlotte, and so we had to spend the night. And it was kind of a long journey and all this and a couple of different flights. So one flight early in the morning uh, going from Charlotte to New York. I'm a little blurry-eyed in there, but I sit next to this uh, young man. And we made some small talk and so forth, and we start reading. I notice he's reading a commentary on 1 Samuel. I'm like, no one reads commentaries except pastors. I, so I'm, I'm like, so are you a pastor? You're reading commentaries. He's like, well, honestly, I don't really know what I am. He said, I'm the youth director at our church. It's a Calvary Chapel church in New York. He says, but my, my pastors asked me to preach this Sunday. I said, oh, I said, well, I'm a pastor too. I said, would you like me to tell you the most important thing about preaching that I've ever learned in my ministry? He's like, yeah. So we had this conversation. It lasted 20, 25 minutes about preaching and what, uh, what we're trying to do and all that. He was very thankful, very gracious. It was, it was a neat conversation. So that we, he went back to reading his commentary and I thought I'd do some prep work for the message this morning. So I open up to Acts chapter nine and I get out my piece of paper. I do a little inductive Bible study before I prepare the message. And so I wasn't but five minutes into my preparation and his name was Mike. He leans over and he says, hey, are you doing inductive Bible study? I said, yeah. He said, would you teach me? So I would be honored to teach you. So I talked about observation and interpretation and application. Some of you know that. I'd be happy to teach you if you don't know. Um, And so we worked through that preparation in uh, observation, what's there, interpretation, what's it saying to the first uh, audience. And then we got to application. And I said, Mike, here's an important moment that that you you never want to forget this point is before you ask what the congregation, what the Lord is saying to the congregation, you always ask what he's saying to you individually, personally. And sometimes that's the same thing of what he wants to say to the congregation. Sometimes it's totally different and it's just for you. He said, okay. So I said, Mike, what, what's he saying to you? He shared a little bit. He said, what's he saying to you, Eric? And I said, well, this is what he's saying to me, is, boy, I read that story, and Ananias is just real short, and I want to be 
I want a faith like Ananias. It's just this short story. And I was, I was struck in that, in that moment on the plane, blurry-eyed, but wow, what a, a neat faith. I was struck by a couple of different things about Ananias' faith. The, the first was this, this idea of readiness, that, that, that Ananias was a disciple in Damascus. And God could have chosen any of the disciples in Damascus, but he chose Ananias. And I, and I have to believe that part of the reason he chose Ananias to deliver this crucial message and ministry to Saul was because Ananias had this attentiveness to God's voice in prayer. In fact, if you look at that verse, verse 10, when he gives, he calls out to Ananias, Ananias, the NIV says, yes, Lord. Uh, I like King James translation. He says, here I am, Lord. Does that remind you of any other story in the Old Testament? Anyone? That reminded me of the little boy Samuel. Right, when he's in the tabernacle and he keeps hearing a voice, but he hasn't learned attentiveness. He hasn't learned yet that we worship a God that sometimes speaks directly to us and, and pricks our heart and soul. So it was Eli, the priest, that had to say, no, I'm not calling you. Go, go back to say, and then, oh, okay, it's the Lord. So, so say, here I am, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. See, little boy Samuel had to, had to learn that attentiveness to the Lord. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in, in Ananias' journey, he had learned an attentiveness to God's voice. And God calls and he says, here I am, here I am. I thought, I, I was struck by that. I was also struck because I'm, I've been praying about that, right? That's how it connects personally, that I want to be attentive to his voice. And there's sometimes during my day that I get lost in activity or work or conversation or people or entertainment and all that. And, and then there's times that I'm simply praying this. Here I am, Lord. Yeah, I, I, and I, I'm re-dialing in to what God is doing or saying in that moment. What a beautiful example of Samuel in the, the Old Testament where 1 Samuel 3.10, the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, and Samuel learned, Samuel, Samuel, the, Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This beautiful example in the Old Testament and the New Testament of God speaking, and I want to be attentive to him like that. I said to Mike, you know, there, there's another thing that really strikes me about Ananias. As I love how he enters a conversation with the Lord, that his, his prayer life isn't just in times of emergencies or meal 
or when you go to bed. Or, or it's not just that, that, that list of things, right, that we've developed and, okay, God, I'm going to pray about these things. But Ananias, his prayer life didn't look like that. His prayer life was conversational. And, and he, he had some issues with this invitation, right? He, he said, whoa. In fact, he might have been praying for the church at that moment against this evil guy named Saul. So, so God says, I want you to go talk to him. He says, hey, God, just so we're clear on this, are we talking about the same guy? Right, so he, he wrestles through in that way and he processes. That, that's my prayer. I, I want my prayer life to be that way. I don't want to just do times of emergency. I don't want just to do my list. I don't want to do just the things that are on my heart but I want to engage the Lord in those ways. I, I uh, was thinking of Samuel, obviously, from that first point. And you know, just about all of the great leaders in the Old Testament and the New, they had that conversational relationship with the Lord. They had that dynamic. And we don't even know if Ananias was a leader in the church. This is the only time we hear from him right? He could have just been a, you know, a regular Christian, maybe no leadership position in the church whatsoever. But all the, all the folks with a relationship with the Lord, and not only in scripture, but if you read uh, of the stories of the saints through the ages, you see that they develop this conversational relationship with the Lord. I was thinking of Samuel when he when Israel finally says, hey, we're, we're done with being led by your prophets. We, wanna, we want a king. And Samuel is hurt by this. And he brings his hurt to the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel 8, 6 and 7, but when they said, the Israelites, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. He's an older uh, prophet now. Judge, So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. It's interesting, uh, Samuel brings kind of a wound from his ministry to the Lord. And the Lord says, me, you both, brother. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but he says, he says, yeah, ow. I, yeah, I feel it. They're, they're rejecting me as king, not just you as leader, but me as king. And it hurts. And wow, what a neat picture of little boy Samuel who has no idea that God speaks to a faith where the Lord would say, yeah, it hurts this rejection, that, that relationship, that, that conversational prayer. I need a prayer life where, where I can whine a little bit to God sometimes, right? I'm, I'm doing really well with the whining. I'm really growing in that area. One last thing I said to Mike. I said, you know, Mike, there's a, another piece that in Ananias that just strikes me and it's this, that Ananias didn't, wasn't just about his personal life and faith. 
He, it wasn't just about what he needs and the things that he's struggling with and what God is saying in his life. But he had this big picture of what was happening in the church, what was going on beyond just him or his city, but, but the church that was happening. Right? He had this whole church, and when he dialogues with the Lord, he's like, hey, God, isn't he the guy that, that has, was really pursuing your holy people in Jerusalem? He's doing damage, right? Ananias knew this, and that's why I think he was praying, like, God, help, this guy's hurt. And now he's coming from Jerusalem, and he's got letters of authority to, to jail some of me or my friends or the, or the church, and so he's weighing in beyond just his life. But he's thinking about the bride of Christ. Made me think of when Jesus' words, when he says, I don't call you servants anymore, I'm calling you friends. Why? Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus has given us the big idea. Jesus has given us his agenda for this world. Jesus has put this, this call, regardless of who we are and how we live the life, our lives are connected connected with this great work in the world. And I believe he expects us to look beyond just our individual lives and families and what's going on. But what he's doing in the church, our, our, our home church, yes, but in the church, capital C, in our city, in our nation, in our denomination, in our world. I don't want to just have a conversational prayer life about my own stuff. I want to be able to whine about greater things as well, right? All right but say, God, yeah, this happening here and in that city and the church and this testimony, that happened. I said to Mike, I said, those... But I was just really struck by all those things. I don't think I'm going to share that with the congregation. I'll just keep that between me and God. But then I thought, maybe I should. I'll just let you know. But then I said, Lord, what are you saying to the congregation? And he had a different set of things he wanted. So the whole sermon up to this point has just been freebie for you. So no, no, yes. So the second piece that he said is, I want you to challenge the congregation. To be like Ananias in that you're sharing my love and the truth of the gospel beyond their individual lives and families. That they want to, that, that I want to challenge, I want you to challenge them to weigh in on relationships with people that don't know me yet. And invite them to be a sacred friend to someone who does not know you. Pull out 
of your individual concerns and difficulties. Yes, God cares about those. Yes, God is mindful of those. But he's wanting us to join this divine search that we have, if we are followers of Christ, we have the most incredible, life-giving message on the face of this earth. And he wants us to stop keeping it to ourselves. Ananias doesn't keep it to himself. In fact, he agrees, despite who Saul is, despite the reputation, despite the fears that he might have had about Saul, right? Despite this could go south for me, what happened? You know, he obeys, he hears, he responds. And so just real quickly, I want to touch. He shares blessing he shares Christ Jesus, and he shares Pentecost. I'll unpack that in just a little bit, but he shares blessing, he shares Christ, and he shares Pentecost. Friends, I believe if we were to share those three things, God would do an amazing work, evangelistic work in our community of faith. The first is this, he, he shares blessing, right? So Saul is blind, probably the physical was symbolic of the spiritual. He was blind spiritually, even though he was a, a faithful uh, Jew, he was blind to the things of God. So God helped him to get that he was spiritually blind, I believe, by causing physical blindness. So Ananias comes in the power of Jesus Christ to bring healing and restoration so that Saul can see again. So just think about it this way. How does Saul experience Ananias? Well, first he experiences Ananias via blessing, right? He gets to see again. He was probably praying about that, right? Lord, what's going on? Am I going to be like this for the rest of my life? Ananias comes and he's the source of blessing, healing, and restoration. He can see again. More and more I'm convinced of this, that the evangelical church in the United States is not known for blessing. It's known for what we stand against. It's intimately tied up with politics. So I always get concerned when there's too much politics in association with the church, right? And I think that we're meant to be known. Jesus Christ is the kindness of the living God poured out into this broken world. And I believe he's calling us to be, but it started in the Old Testament, right? With Abraham right away from the covenant relationship. We all should know this, right? Abraham was blessed to be 
a blessing, right? That that's as we experience and walk with the Lord, that we are not only filled with the kindness of God and the blessing of God, that that's how we should be known. That as people interact with us, they should know those Christians by blessing and love and kindness and mercy and grace. Yes, we're called to speak to the truth. Yes, that is. But speak truth in love. Hard to hear that. Hard to hear that. Um, Paul later would write, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with right opinions and judgment and boycotts and protests. He does not say that, does he? But I think oftentimes, we might as well fill it in, that's where we're living No, he says, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and allow that to, you put on those clothes and bless one another, but also bless those who do not know me. One more airport story. So I was, I did not have time before we left to print out this voucher getting from the airport to the hotel, right? And we were delayed in DIA, so I, I, I try and go to a counter, frontier counter, and, uh, and I say, hey, can you help me? I've got this in my email. Could I send it to you and you print it? Because they say I need the physical voucher. I thought it would just be fine on my phone. And, and there was this young gal named Alicia. And she said, um, she said, well... I don't really like to do that because I have to give you my personal email, but it's okay. In this instance, I'll do it. And I said, does it help at all that I'm a pastor? And she's like, oh, no, that's great. Okay, well, then no, I won't give you my email. No, she didn't say that. So it was really nice. I give her the email and um, and, uh, I send it to her and she has to walk over and she prints the voucher out. I notice as she walks over, she's got a really severe limp. And, um, and so she comes back, she gives me the voucher. I'm like, thank you. She shows kindness and blessing to me. I just said, hey, would there be any way that I'd be able to pray for you? And she said, yeah, um, I had a stroke when I was uh, five years old. I don't, she was in her 20, 20s, maybe young 30s. And, and so that's affected uh, how I walk. And now my left hand, I'm losing control um, more and more progressively in my left hand. Would you uh, allow me to, uh, would you pray for that? I said, great. I said, I don't want to be awkward. There were two other folks behind the counter. I said, if it would be too awkward, it's okay. I'd love to pray for you now, but I can pray for you later because you're at work. And she's like, no, I, I'd like you to pray for me now. So she came from behind the, the counter and I, you know, I talked about the kingdom of heaven and that there's no, no strokes or, or limping in the kingdom of heaven and we get to pray healing and restoration, prayed for her. I walked away. I don't know if she's a Christian. She didn't say whether she was or not. 
but I, I got to, she in fact showed me kindness first, but I got to, I, I thought later that she knew I was a Christian pastor, that, that she associated that with blessing and kindness and hopefully a compassion that was there. I've been praying each day that I would allow the kindness of God to flow from my life. And I'm starting to have experiences like that. This is coming later, just so you know. It's going to be part of our evangelism strategy. What would it look like if every day part of our prayer and part of our rhythm is that we would bless, we would be a blessing to one person, a, a, a kind word even, a, a smile, our, our countenance would, would lift up someone who's having a bad day. We would buy someone a, a cup of coffee or maybe even anonymously that we would buy a meal or, or we would see, we, we would help someone across the street, whatever that would be. Any small or great act of kindness just in, in any way. And that wasn't random, but that was spirit-led. I've been praying that I would have these spirit-led opportunities for kindness during my day, that, that not, not just one day would go by, that I wouldn't show kindness. It could be to my family, though that's a really hard call, but then to a, a stranger. What would it look like if we as a congregation started to pray? That each day, we shared the kindness of God with one person, even. Even if we got to the end of the day and, and, and there was no opportunity, then an act of kindness could be that we could actively pray for a non-Christian. That would be an act of kindness, right? What would it look like if we made that determination? I've taken that challenge personally in my life. I would love for you to join me in that. Not only does Ananias share blessing, but he shares Jesus Christ, or at least the story, or at least he explains to Paul further, Saul, what happened to him and who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. He, he, he brings words to his action of blessing. I was listening to a pastor. He's uh, uh, the leader of a large denomination, uh, the leader of a church as well, and he was talking about evangelism and the church and statistics, and he said this, did you know that only 20% of all the churches in the United States are actually growing. 80% of our churches are in decline or maintaining. There's a shift in culture that's happening. And then this statistic was even more depressing to me. Of the 20% of the churches that are growing, 99% of them are growing via transfer growth. 
only 1% of the churches in the United States are growing via people coming to Christ for the first time. So you've got 99% of the 20 churches that are growing are growing because they're pulling people from the 80% churches. They're not pulling people from our culture and our world and people who don't know Christ. Is that depressing? Something has to change. Something. God, help us be part of what you want to do in evangelism in this world. Um, We... Now, there's an interesting statistic in all the statistics that um, that I've been aware of, and I keep praying about this, is that also, says all the, the, the cultural watchers, they're saying that in our culture, people are becoming less and less interested in religion and Christianity and church, that you see this downward greater percentage. But there's one thing that they remain interested in, Jesus, yes, Logan. All right, free cup of coffee for you. They're still interested in Jesus. They still are intrigued by the person of Jesus. They still wonder and, and would go to a, be involved in a conversation of Jesus. I think that's part of the answer. There's part of something that God is doing. That's what's driven the idea, the course that we do, missing Jesus, right? That, that, that we don't want to invite people to Christianity because they're saying, yeah, I'm not really interested. But to be in a dialogue about the person of Jesus, I'm convinced that Most people are missing the real Jesus. I mean, if we don't know what his big idea is, how in the world are we going to know the details of his life, right? In the the fall, Kendra and I are going to do a missing Jesus in our living room. Okay, I've committed us. We've been talking about it. (laughs) And we're going to invite, we're going to invite our neighbors going to invite you all if there's a stirring but we're going to cap it at a certain number right so I'm sorry our neighbors get precedence is that okay just invite them to a discussion of Jesus I, I want to take this challenge from the pastor I was listening this was a challenge that he mentioned and give this to you what he's done with his church is he said would you we're not doing evangelism well We're only seeing transfer growth. Would you find one person in your life that doesn't know the Lord? Just one. And would you start praying for them? And I'll say because of our series, would you seek to be a sacred friend to them? Would you seek to show kindness and love to them. Just allow it to float naturally. And what I, I think is don't, don't talk to them about the Christian faith. As you walk in your relationship with Christ, let that relationship bubble over to your relationship with your one. What do you think about that? 
And, and if we started to, to pray and focus and, and show kindness and the love of God to just that one person, do you think that would change things? I hope so too. In the power of God. What if we just, if we said, all right, I, I, I will be that sacred friend. I haven't been a good job. They don't value the things. I, maybe I bet you've been a little bit more judgmental of that, that, that friend that makes other choices than you would make or, or, or the life is broken, they're hurting or they're needy and they're annoying and you just haven't really been the love of Jesus to that person. Would you change that? Would you choose that one person? In your life. They can live close to you. They can live far. But what's, what's that one person? It can be a family member. And begin sharing Jesus with them. And then I'll share this last point. Ananias not only shares blessing and healing and restoration. He not only shares Jesus, explains Jesus with Saul, but he shares Pentecost with him. Now, did you recognize, there's a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the sacred friendship of, of Paul towards Timothy. You remember that? And he said, Paul said, Timothy, uh, you're, you're being too timid. I'm paraphrasing here. I laid hands on you and and, and you received the gift. It was full of power and of love and of self-discipline. He was talking about Pentecost. He was talking about the, the privilege and the honor of the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And he was saying, when I was doing that, Timothy, that's what you want to fan into flames. You have this resource of the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit that is available to you every day. Stop living life. Stop doing ministry in your own power because we know you, Timothy. Your personality, you're gonna be timid. But would you do that in the resources that God has given you, the, the spirit of God? wants you to burn with love and passion and self-control to empower your life. Did you notice that what the Lord asked, what the Lord asks Ananias to do, not just remove the, the scales from Saul's eyes so they can see again, what else does he do? He lays hands on him with the purpose of, is that really true? Is that in the passages? I mean, that would be really amazing if that it, it is. Verse 17, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think Saul was already a Christian by that time. I mean, he was knocked down and blinded and he was praying, all of these things. But what Saul needed was power to be that person. Yes? What would it look like to share the resources of God? 
with a non-believing world. Last story, a number of years ago, not on the, the plane this past week, a pastor, a good friend of mine, he says, Eric, I got a question for you. I've been working with this couple. They've been coming to my church. They're, they're not really Christian. They think they are, but they're not really Christian. They're living together, and I keep throwing out challenge to them and challenge, and then they wanted to meet with me, and I'm like, this is the good opportunity. I get to finally, because they're not responding to challenge, and they asked to meet with me, and so we get together, and they, they wanted me to pray for them because they believe in the healing power of God and they're having, both of them were having physical ailments and struggles. And he said, I didn't want to pray with them. I was like, why not? He's like, because they should be obeying God. They're, they're not listening to the challenge. What would have you done? I said, well... I think that's part of the testimony of who God is. That he heals people sometimes before they're saved. Before they know the Lord. In fact, you can argue more often. And he uses that as a testimony in their lives to bring conviction sometimes. And he said, yes, yes, I prayed for them. But I still talk to them about living together. I think sometimes we just need to, to pray because we have the resources of God that we get to share. And who are we to decide whether people are, are righteous enough or not? That's not how it works, is it? Otherwise, we wouldn't be healed ever, right? <laughs> it's just God's blessing and love and I don't know if he healed Alicia in that moment. But, but I do know that she experienced one of Jesus' followers who, who sought to bless her with the healing presence of God. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. I'm still praying that I'll get an email from her because she has my email. I'm not going to email her. But that... Get an email that she sees that, but it's enough that I'm doing my best, trusting that he's going to draw straight lines with this crooked stick of blessing and favor. I was thinking that as we close the service, if the worship team wants to come forward. Um, two weeks ago, we did something neat. We, we prayed, we laid hands on people, and we kind of experienced it kind of like a communion Sunday without communion. Do you remember that? <laughs> and so I was thinking maybe we, if you're willing, if you're uncomfortable, if this is your first time this Sunday, don't feel like you need to come forward, okay? But I thought it would be neat if there was a willingness for all of us to be anointed with oil, if the, if the prayer team wanted to come forward and just maybe spread out, and if we would be anointed, the oil is a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit, and we be willing to say, Lord, help me. Would you fill me with power 
and passion for evangelism. Would you help me to, that, that maybe you have that one person in mind. Lord, would you help me to, to love them well, to, that, that I would share your love and kindness That if we were willing to say, Lord, I, I, I'm not really awesome at this. Maybe some of you are. It'd be awesome. I confess, I'm not awesome at that. I find it difficult to live kindness every day. Hate to admit that to you, but that's true. What would it look like? I said, Lord, we need your help. Would you come fill us? And let the prayer team just pray, anoint you with oil and pray for that infilling of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of the service, if there's a, a, a healing and restoration that you want to pray for because God is healing, then we'd ask you to uh, maybe come back up and there'll be a longer prayer. This prayer would just be really an anointing with whole oil and one or two sentences. You do that? Let's pray. So Father, we want to be in many ways like Ananias, who's mindful, not just his own faith and life, but the state of your church, the persecution that was happening. And Lord, we want to have that willingness to respond to your voice and what you're doing. Lord, we confess that as your church, we need help. It's, we can't muscle our way through evangelism. We can't do it in our own strength. It's just not working. So Lord, we, we say that we need you we need you to teach us to be sacred friends to the, the broken world. Lord, would you lay on our hearts one person, just one, that you would want us to be the love to share the gospel with them and, and use words if we need to. But to live your gospel of love. Amen. We could all stand and if you feel comfortable, would you just come on forward and be anointed with oil?